What's up guys and welcome to the end of rotation exam review. I'm Lenny C, PAS, and I'm back with some more family medicine topics so that you can ace your EOR exams. As always, if these podcasts have been helpful to you, please drop me a line via Instagram at Lenny underscore C. I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions on how to make these episodes more valuable to you. Today, we'll be discussing a few pulmonary cases. Without further ado, your first question. A 21-year-old female who is taking oral contraceptive pills presents to the ED with increasing shortness of breath starting four hours ago. On physical exam, she's tachycardic and has tachypnea at 23 breaths a minute. Her blood pressure is 120 over 80, and she is wheezing to all lung fields and appears to be in moderate distress. Both calves are mildly edematous and somewhat tender. What will you do next? A. CT chest. B. Chest x-ray. C. Ventilation to perfusion scan or VP, VP scan. D. Pulmonary arteriography. Or E. MRI of the chest. The correct answer is D. Pulmonary arteriography. Well, CT Pulmonary arteriography, CTPA, is a gold standard for diagnosing acute pulmonary embolus. You'll see some EDs order the CT of the chest with contrast. Now, I wanted to give you two tools that can help you risk stratify patients whom you have a clinical suspicion for an acute pulmonary embolus. The first, Wells criteria risk stratifies patients for pulmonary embolism by a high, moderate, or low probability. And you assess that probability by assigning them a score value based off of the clinical symptoms they that they present with. So for example, three points for leg swelling, pain with palpitation, 1.5 points for heart rate greater than 100, 1.5 points for immobilization of greater than three days or surgery in the previous four weeks. There is also a simplified uh, or a modified Wells criteria that risk stratifies them into um, pulmonary embolus likely versus unlikely, uh, and that's based off of the score of greater than four versus under four. And basically, if you have a high suspicion that they might have a PE um, and they present with it, uh, with a high or moderate probability, then you're going to want to work them up and do a scan or whatnot. Um, the other rule or criteria that I can provide is the PERC rule, um, and that's for PE as well. Um, Basically, if you have these risk factors or clinical symptoms, um, you do need a further workup done. But if you don't present with any of these uh, symptoms or risk factors, then a less than two percent of a less than two percent chance of PE um, is given for these patients. So uh, the criteria is age of greater than fifty, heart rate greater than one hundred, if they're satting less than ninety five, if they have unilateral leg swelling. So all these things are just criteria that can help you, uh, you know, bring about a better gestalt or um, gives you a probability of. Uh, these patients presenting with the PE. Um, and you can find these uh, rules or criteria on MDCalc or you can find them online and you can just, when you're in the ED, you can just be adding up those, uh, calculating the probability and seeing what you, you can do with that. But usually patients who present with PE by themselves at least three months of anticoagulants. The initial in anticoagulants include heparin, low molecular weight heparin, to quickly get the patient to therapeutic anticoagulation. And then they'll be bridged over the Coumadin with a goal INR of two to three for a total anticoagulation duration of at least three months. Now, we know that the clinical scenario changes if this patient was pregnant. 
because we know that the risk of PE is five times higher in pregnant women. So we have to avoid Coumadin since it readily crosses the placenta and is teratogenic uh, in the first trimester. So instead you'll give them IV heparin and then sub-Q heparin for the remainder of the pregnancy. Here's an interesting one. Question number two. A 33-year-old male presents for an evaluation of a chronic cough for the past six months. He does not smoke, he doesn't report any seasonal allergies, and he denies any systemic complaints such as fever or weight loss, and he doesn't have any symptoms of heartburn or regurgitation or runny nose. He doesn't take any medications or have any medication allergies. On physical exam, lungs are cleared to auscultation, and a chest x-ray shows no acute distress. He reports having tried bronchodilators and Claritin recently with no symptomatic improvement. What is the next step? A. A trial of a proton pump inhibitor, or PPI. B. Pulmonary function test to rule out COPD. C. 24-hour pH monitoring. D. Start a Z-pack for a subclinical URI. Or E. Methacholine inhalation test. The correct answer is a trial of a PPI. GERD is among the most common causes of chronic cough, even in the absence of GI symptoms. PPIs work by reducing acid production in the stomach and can help differentiate between a cough that is caused by esophageal irritation from acid contents versus a different ideology. The methacholine inhalation testing is not necessary because the trial of bronchodilators didn't yield any improvement in symptomatology. Chest CT and pulmonary function tests are not indicated given the lack of findings from the history, physical examination, and chest film to suggest underlying pulmonary disease. A PPI trial, however, is preferred over a 24-hour pH monitoring since it's less invasive. Last question. An 18-year-old female presents complaining with a very sore throat, swollen lymph nodes in her neck, fever, and general malaise for the past two days. She is febrile at 102.2 Fahrenheit and has enlarged exudative tonsils, tender cervical lymph adenopathy, and your rapid strep screen is negative. What additional PE findings will you most likely find? A. Increased monocytes on white cell differential. B. Enlarged spleen. C. IgA antibodies for the Epstein-Barr virus, EBV virus. Or D. Decreased atypical lymphocytes on white blood cell differential. The correct answer is B. This clinical picture is consistent with infectious mononucleosis. The rapid strep screen rules out strep throat, and in conjunction with the fever, fatigue, tonsillar, hypertrophy, we're thinking mono. Oftentimes you'll see the splenomegaly, and you'll have to have the patient refrain from contact sports due to the risk of splenic rupture. Other lab findings include an elevated total white blood cell count with an increased atypical lymphocytes on differential. IgM antibodies will be the first to be elevated for the Epstein-Barr virus, and later the IgG levels will increase while the IgM normalizes. Treatment includes supportive care since it's a viral infection. To wrap things up, I'd like to leave you with a few tips. When interviewing your patient, remember to ask if they've had any recent shortness of breath at rest or with exercise, past chest x-rays, history of asthma, history of smoking or environmental exposures, and weight loss or weight gain. 
On physical exam, do a good pulmonary exam by auscultating for wheezes, rails, and ronchi. YouTube is a great resource for the different lung findings, and I'll link a couple of good videos in the podcast description for you to listen to. And finally, apply the information that we've covered over this episode to best help your patient. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to the end of rotation exam review. As always, please let me know if you'd like me to cover a topic or have any suggestions. Now keep working hard at your rotation and remember your patients are depending on you to make a difference in their lives.